Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We have a lot to get to today. You know, the extended holiday weekend, lots of you are going to be getting out to our sponsors and enjoying all of the great bargains that they have and doing a lot of planning and a lot of, well, trimming and weeding and cutting grass and, you know, kind of getting the outdoor living space ready for the upcoming summer months. So you've come to the right place. Doug is off today fishing somewhere, but Jessica Wallace, who is in studio, she, of course, TribLive.com, a world-renowned journalist when it comes to garden. You are world-renowned. You realize that. Who are you talking to me? Yeah, no. Oh. Is, is there anybody else in this room? <laughs> but you are world-renowned. She's a global phenomenon, a Penn State grad, horticulturist, does it all. And, of course, she likes to talk to you about gardening as well. So get on the lines at 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access, kdkradio.com. And you can text us on the right automotive line, the best deal in town. We've got some giveaways up and coming from people like Sorgles and Janoskis. And all of our wonderful sponsors invite you out for the Memorial Day weekend. But this is very simply a big weekend for gardening. It is huge. Good morning. This is horticulturist Jessica Walliser. And you are right. And I have been hearing um, from so many local nurseries as I'm going about, you know, I have to visit all of them to get my plants in the spring. And so I've been five or six already this uh, this past week. And just in, in talking to people, what I'm finding out is that it has been a wonderful kick off to the season for many of our local nurseries. Um, it was a slow start at the beginning just because we had such wonky weather this spring. People weren't really sure. But boy, oh boy, when the weather really settled down and we now have started to have consistently warm temperatures, it has been great. And it is wonderful to pull in the parking lot of a small local nursery and have it jammed with cars. And I know that People listening might think that's inconvenient that you have to park a little bit further away, but I'm telling you, these are family-run businesses, and if anybody deserves to have a full parking lot, it's these people. I have worked for many nurseries over the years. It is hard work. It is unpredictable work, and they are dependent on you guys out there listening to keep their livelihood going. So I would encourage you this weekend, now that planting season is definitely here and in full swing, to at least visit one local nursery, make some purchases. You will get great quality plants as well. And then when you're done gardening for the day and you've planted up your planters and mowed your lawn and cleaned up your flower beds and whatever, important public service announcement here, and that is that the ticks are out in full force and... I'm telling you right now, if you have never seen one, it they are so tiny. They are the size of a poppy seed, and some of the ones we've been finding on us at our house are even smaller than that. And you almost it's almost impossible to see them sometimes. And it is critical that you protect yourself from these guys because of limes and all the other tick-borne diseases out there. So educate yourself on what they look like. You could probably fit six of them on a single sesame seed. That's how tiny they are. Listen, we were talking about your amazing father and mother before you went on the air, and your dad in the asphalt business worked harder in one summer than I probably have in my entire life, and your mom doing all this stuff. But here's the question. We got talking about this yesterday on the True Value Show. We had a nice representative from Pit Moss in the studio. We were talking about manicuring your lawn, maintaining weeds, all this stuff, and ticks came up. Mm -hmm. I don't ever 
remember dealing with ticks. When your dad came home after a long day at work, was your mother worried about him having ticks in his on his clothes, on his back, on his body? I mean, has it always been a problem and we just didn't pay attention to it? Or has it never really been as bad as it is now? It's For me, it's never... I mean, I spent my childhood in the woods up at the mountain at our family bungalow. We were We kids were outside all the time. One time I had a tick and it was a dog tick, which are the bigger ones, and it was behind my ear. And... I had never had one before and never had one my whole life. Uh, Again, spending time outdoors. This is what I do as a horticulturist, right? And hiking and all that stuff. Never had them. And then probably starting about maybe four or five years ago is when we really started. And my mom had limes, And she's still, years later, and she was sort of towards the early upswing in in limes, And she still has, you know, has consequences of that. And so it is so important to protect yourself. Well, I have my own theories. I mean, there's no, as a scientist, like I don't like to even say things without research to back it up. But my theory is that these insects were major food source for birds as they're rearing their young, right? Little tiny insects to feed little tiny birds. Well, the bird populations are down. So the Why? predator, right? So they have no predators to feed. Well, what? you know, we've done a good job of eliminating their habitat and poisoning their food sources and Same thing with getting like rid of all of the bugs out there by spraying and using especially systemic pesticides. Anything systemic no, wait, is wait, wait, carried wait, in wait, the plant. Wait. I know we've affected the bee population. Yeah. We talk about that with Steve Rapaski and Doug and you. So you mean to tell me... That's happening with the bird. Well, it's all a food. It's all the big part of the food chain, right? So, what every single, well, almost every single bird species here in Pennsylvania rears their young, rears their babies on insects. I didn't know that. Even the ones that eat from your feeder, like the cardinals, as adults, you know, they're eating bird seed from your feeder. They all rear their babies on insects, and we are doing a fantastic job of killing all the insects. By putting the grub killers on our lawn, which then gets into, you know, that's a systemic. It gets into the clover pollen. It gets into the tree pollen, the tree flowers that are growing above your lawn. That's carried in the nectar and the pollen, which gets, you know, eaten by the insects, which then moves on up the food chain. So, I mean, it is it is a big deal for me. And I, personally, that is my, what I look at in terms of the huge upswing in tick populations, that we don't have the birds the predators to feed on them that we used to. So, but again, I'm not, there's, I have not found any research that points to that. But, That's but, just me as a person who spends a lot of time outdoors and a, and a scientist. But it makes a lot of sense. All well, right, listen, we're going to take a break and we'll come back. We got Barbara already waiting, waiting in South Park. We'd love to hear from you too. Jessica would like to go wall to wall phone calls up until 8 o'clock. Give us a call, 866 391 1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access, KDKRadio.com. Texas on the Red Automotive Line, best deal in town. Davy Tree will be back with us next week, as will Doug will be. So if you right now are the 10th caller at 412 922 1020, you're going to win a $25 gift certificate from Sorgles. Good morning. Doug is not here today. Jessica Wallace is. They both, of course, work for the Tribune Review folks. And what are you doing there before we say Walter is our winner and we say hello to Barbara? Oh, my gosh. So much good stuff. And you know what? If you don't get the paper and you still, you should. But if you don't get it, you can read all my columns online for free. You just go to triblive.com slash Jessica Wallace and you will be able to see a whole list of my Friday and Sunday articles going back many weeks. And it's just sort of a great way to have everything gardening put together. How long does it take for you to one article how long you, how well, many, I don't know it depends on the topic if I have like some research to do then it takes me a little bit longer to get it done but yeah not too bad so I've been doing it so long that it's sort of like a, okay this is what I have to do on this day and get that done and then it's good so all right yes. it, it all works out let's go to Barbara South Park for Jessica Wallace or the organic gardeners KDK radio hey Barbara good morning 
Good morning. Good morning. Bar- um, yeah, my name's Barbara. Yours is Jessica. Um, <laughs> One of those mornings, Barbara. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, first, uh, I want to thank you for last year, or was it the year before? I think it was last year, recommending the Mexican sunflowers. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, they brought so many bees and they brought so many monarchs. I was so thrilled last year. I would go out and I would talk to the monarchs. That's how happy I was. I love so, it. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, I, I'm this year. I'm planning. I planted thirty of them. Great, <laughs> so, good for you. Yeah, yeah, and of course, I. Oh well, and also, you should remind people that the um, milkweed, mm-hmm. the, the old milkweed, that is so so invasive. I planted it a couple of years ago, and that's all I do now is pull it out. Not all of it, but it's everywhere. But that's not why I called. I I don't know if you can help me or not because I don't have much to go on. I planted peas before, and I've never had a problem. I planted. I first planted some like Doug does on you know March seventeenth, um, and a couple of them came up, not too many. But then I planted some again. They've not gone gotten any taller than three feet. Now, <laughs> could you? <laughs> Could you give me a reason? Uh, I mean, have any? Now they don't get a terrific amount of sun, um, but I've never had a problem planting them in that area. Now they're not in the same spot as they were last year. So, what mm-hmm. would be the reason? Do you know the the? Have they started to flower at all? Um, no, not yet. Okay. And do you know the variety that you're growing? Is this the same variety you've always grown, or is it one you just picked up at the garden center? No, it's just it was one that I just picked up at. at okay. It's a burby. Gotcha. Burby so peas. there there are peas that only reach three feet tall. So that might be varietal selection. No, I don't think so. I don't think so because I did have some that were from last year, and mm-hmm. they know they they grew all the way up, as, okay. you know, six feet, eight okay. feet, ten feet, okay. whatever. Well, I will so. tell you, Barbara, that I have had trouble with my peas as well this year. And here's what happened to me. I did not plant May 17th. I think for me, that's way too early. I planted around the first week of April. And I had two whole rows where I only had very sporadic germination. I think that our soil stayed very cold, very long. And even though peas germinate in fairly low soil temperatures, I think it was still too cold for them to grow. And then I had some issues with slugs eating some of them. And so, yeah, it's it's been a tough year for peas. Now, the fact that you have them, that they're up three feet, now what, we, what happened is we had this super cool spring, and now we're getting this really hot weather, which, as you know, peas do not like at all, this right. hot weather. So I think that they're just sort of in a holding pattern, and I'm not sure we can expect much from our pea crops this year at all. And I have talked to Doug about his... His are not doing so hot either. I think just the combination of that spring that we had followed by now we're getting this super warm weather is just, we're just going to call it an off year for the pea crop. Okay, good. Okay? I'm glad I'm not alone. No, Thank you are so definitely again, not alone. thanks for those Mexican. Tell everybody about them. They're fantastic. <laughs> thanks, Barbara. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, it's Jim in Mars, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Hey, good morning. Hey, Jess, um, I had a... Nursery employee tell me, relative to knockout roses, that if they've been established six or seven years, I shouldn't be having to water them. Would you agree with that? I do, yes, unless we have a period of extreme drought. Um, And you definitely, if you have them mulched, there's definitely not a need to water them. Okay. Yeah, they are once they're established, they're fairly drought tolerant. Um, unlike some of the more you know fussier roses like the hybrid teas and things like that, the knockouts are fairly drought tolerant. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank Save you, me a lot Jim. Of time. 
Yes, how about it? (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. All right, thank you very much. Listen, looking, you know, ahead to, you know, all of the things that you do this summer, one of the things that I heard on the True Value show yesterday, Mike Bronischewski, that I did not know, and you and I have always talked about how if you just kind of let God do what it does, do uh, do what God does when it comes to your lawn and it germinates and it dies, it'll come back. You don't really have to do too much to it. One of the things that I didn't realize is that if you cut your lawn too low, you can actually promote weeds growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't get a chance to ask him why. Explain that to me. Yeah. So the normal mowing height that we recommend for people is three to three and a half inches. Okay. And most people mow their lawn far shorter than that. Now, your your mower will have a setting, and sometimes those settings will be numbers, but those numbers don't always equate to inches. So just setting your mower height on level three doesn't mean that it's mowing it at three inches. So, like, I know level three on our mower is actually more like about two inches. So we mow it like four to five on our mower, which equates to about three to three and a half inches. So you want to leave your, your grass high. There's a saying that's called um, mow it high and let it lie. So by mowing it high, that high, thick mat of grass actually shades the soil underneath. And weed seeds typically need to get some sunlight in order for them to germinate. A lot of the types of seeds that we see as being weedy don't need darkness to germinate. They need sun. They need light to germinate. So having it high like that forms a dense mat that does prevent a lot of weed seeds from germinating. And then the let it lie part of the mow it high and let it it lie is that we want to let the grass clippings lay on the lawn. So nowadays, almost all mowers are made as mulching mowers, which means that the grass clippings, when they're cut off the first time, are recirculated around the blades. They're whirred back in there and it chops and dices them up into teeny tiny little particles and then redistributes them back on the lawn. And when you do that, those little teeny tiny particles, the soil microbes break them down really quickly. And they become a source of nitrogen and other plant nutrients for your lawn. So with a mulching mower, your lawn becomes sort of self-feeding. And this is especially true if you grow, if your lawn has clover in it, like mine does. I mean, the white Dutch clover is amazing because clover is an, a legume, which legume is a, a group of plants in the, the pea and beef, bean family that have the ability to take nitrogen from the air and change it into a form that plants can use to feed themselves. And so when you have a lawn with clover, and you use a mulching mower, you're also chopping up all those clover leaves into teeny tiny places. And that is a major shot of nitrogen for your lawn, which is why lawns with clover in them stay green far longer into the summer. They they um, they don't need as much fertilizer, if any at all, none at all in my, in my case, in my yard. And they are more drought resistant and more drought tolerant as well. So that's why clover is such a good thing in your lawn. And that's why you want to let those clippings lie because they will become this recycling source of nutrients for your lawn. So always mow it high and let it lie. All right. We have a right automotive text line for Jessica. It says, how do I get rid of caterpillars on my asparagus? I tried Captain Jack's dead bug brew uh, and also things, but it just hasn't worked. What do I do? Do you know what's really funny? Is that I have a little note on my rundown for the day, and it says asparagus beetles, which is actually one of the topics. If we had time today, I wanted to cover. So I'm really glad that this person sent this timely message. And the other thing that they used, uh, insecticidal soap. Too. Okay, yeah. So what you they are describing as caterpillars are actually not caterpillars. They're a beetle larva. But they look a lot like a little teeny tiny caterpillar. They're kind of this army green with a little black head, and they're super, super tiny. And they're the larva of the asparagus beetle. And right now, 
they're feeding on both the spears. And then if you let the spears go to fern, you'll see them on there as well. And they can be pretty aggressive. I mean, they can really defoliate and, and turn the ferns brown, which you need to leave the ferns up because they go on to feed next year's crop. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Captain Jack Steadbug Brew, which is a spinosad-based uh, organic pesticide, that is effective against them. But you have to make sure that you spray it all over the whole plant. Um, but even more effective to, for me than that, this is what I do, is I have a broom in my asparagus patch, just a soft bristled broom. And every time I'm out in the garden, which is pretty much every day, I take that soft bristled broom and I sweep, literally sweep it against the fronds of those ferns. Because those little asparagus beetle larvae don't cling very much to those ferns. And so they'll fall to the ground when you just sweep. You can even use your hand to sweep it off. And they all fall to the ground and they, they can't find their way back up into the plants. And that's where ground-dwelling beneficial insects like spiders and big-eyed bugs and minute pirate bugs and other good bugs move in. move in and eat them. And so that's to me, far more effective than using a spray product and also safer. All right, listen, if you want to join Jessica via the phone lines, we do have some lines available. We're going to talk to Brad from Clarion. We come back after the news update at the bottom of the hour, but the number to be on the program is 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access, kdkradio.com. Don't forget, next hour, it is Coons Cooking Hour. Today, it's spring and outdoor parties, and we're talking, of course, Memorial Day, graduations, all of that stuff. So whatever you're grilling, whatever you're fixing, whatever your recipes are, we want to hear from you. That's between 8 and 9. And then it's Heffron Tillotson, Germany, and you, Jim Meredith, Kirk Carlson and Mary Ann Siebert. Good morning. You know, I was telling Jessica, too bad stink bugs wouldn't eat tickets, ticks. But they, uh, here, here's the thing. Whatever happened to the stink bugs? I don't see them. Oh, they're still around. Trust me. Really? They're in my house. Yeah. I don't yeah. see them. A little better because they, they now have sort of a semi-predator and prey system established for them. So, what is it? What's the so that means that there's now some, um, like the assassin bugs, praying mantids will eat them. Birds will eat them. When they first got here, nothing recognized them as a food source. And so... No other insects or animals would touch them as food, but now they recognize them as food, and so the birds are eating them and all these uh, like predacious it, insects. Kind of like when a good review of a restaurant gets out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everybody goes for the buffet. Right. You got it. All right, here we go. Let's go to Brad and Clary. And Brad, how you doing? Welcome to KDK Radio. Good morning. Boy, you fellas have been really good advisors for me. Uh, my uh, Ponzetta, Jingle Bell Ponzetta is still thriving. I can't believe it. And... The money plant, it's doing real well. I followed your advice. Great. And my rose bush, it's the main bud, uh, the main stem that I left. Uh, I have a trestle out there, and uh, I it's climbing up there, and it's just full of rose buds. It's going to be beautiful when it comes out. Excellent. Love to hear that. And the new growth is coming up. It's probably over a foot high. So everything's thriving, and I told this fellow that gave us this money plant uh, for our wedding anniversary, our 50th wedding anniversary, I, I told him, I said, you didn't put the right kind of fertilizer on that plant. He <laughs> said, why is that? And I said, I haven't got the first dollar off of it yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, wouldn't that be nice if they're really, if money plants really did produce money or if, if trees produced money? They do. When you think about it, the trees do. If you talk to the folks at Davy Tree, they're going to tell you right away that they do grow money because they improve your property values and shade your house to reduce cooling costs. So I guess, in a way, money does grow on trees. Hey, Brad, thanks. Have a great holiday weekend. Let's go to Ed up next for Jessica Walliser. Ed, welcome to KDKA Radio. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody there? Good. We're great. What's up? I, uh, my lady friend, she has this uh, hydranium in her yard, beautiful plant, but every year she only gets one to two flowers off of it. 
And last year, you said, well, she'd always cut everything off, okay, everything down to the ground. You said, don't cut those long brown stems off because that's where the flowers come from. Uh-huh. So that's what she done. But now she got these, you know, brown uh, sticks in the yard there, and uh, uh, she must have what to do with them. Yeah. So, okay, this is leave them here forever. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought this up, Ed, because we do say that with mop head hydrangeas, which are those big flowers that are pink or blue. With those types of hydrangeas, you do want to leave those brown sticks up because they do hold the buds. Now, however, we are now at the end of May. And if they haven't produced any viable buds on them by this point in the season, it is okay to go ahead and cut those brown stems off. The issue we always have is people, you know, they go out to clean their garden in early March or, or even late March and they cut them off. So that's when you're cutting off the flower buds. This point in the season... If they're still brown, dead sticks, you can go ahead and cut them off. Oh, very good. Okay. You just leave them in there for the next year then? Yep, and then you want to leave whatever now is producing the green, lush green growth. Hopefully you'll get some flowers. Good. Hopefully she'll get some flowers later in the summer. And then those sticks you want to leave all the way through this time next year. All right, we're going to take the 10th caller right now. That person wins a $25 gift certificate from the good folks at Janoski's. Today, 8 to 7, tomorrow, 8 to 7. Great place to stop out, large selection of hanging baskets, everything that you need to enjoy this holiday weekend. So what do you say we go to uh, Jim in the North Hills up next for Jessica Walliser? Good morning. And by the way, that number to call in for that uh, gift certificate from Janoski's, 412-922-1020. We'll take the 10th caller. Go ahead, Jim. Okay, yeah, I have, uh, Jessica, I have some... uh Colorado blue spruce left the banana pots for actually several years, and uh, they're, they wintered over last winter. They wintered over the year before. That's when I bought them, and uh, I planted some last year, and they were massively crock-bound with roots. I mean, it popped out. You couldn't even, you mm-hmm. couldn't even get them un- unraveled, you know. Mm-hmm. So my thoughts are, would it be harmful I mean, you literally can't untangle them. They're that, that tight. And uh, if I took a saw, a hand saw, and uh, they're in like maybe three-gallon pots. They're pretty good-sized pots, maybe four-gallon even. And if I took a hand saw and cut maybe an inch off the actual bottom of the whole mm-hmm. uh, bottom, mm-hmm. would that be sufficient, or should I make more cuts uh, vertically up and down? Yeah. The, so so that is a long time to have a blue spruce tree in a container, for yeah, sure. Yeah, they're, they're still very healthy. They look good. That's good. That's good. But now you've discovered the ramifications of that, which is, of course, you have incredibly pot-bound plants. So you absolutely have to do a better job of um, breaking up that root mass. And actually, what I would suggest that you do in order to encourage those roots to spread out into the soil, you can do one of two things. Number one, you could saw off that bottom inch, as you described, so that whole bottom portion of what was in the pot, that circle from the bottom, cut that off. And then I would actually recommend that you cut around the whole outside like that as well. Just saw off that whole outside of the roots. And that's going to stimulate for the root production. It's called root pruning, right? So that's one option. The other option, which is actually increasing in popularity, and there's been some um, interesting research out of Washington State on this, is to actually use a high pressure, like a pressure washer or something. Take the pot out of the plant and on the lowest setting on the pressure washer, actually wash all of the soil away from those roots. 
And then you will have just sort of this tangle of roots that you can then go through and a little more judiciously spread them out, cut them apart. And when you plant it, then you can actually spread those bare roots out into the soil. And there's some new research that's saying that this is a really effective way to plant all types of trees, but especially the potted ones that are really root bound. So maybe try both if you have more than one tree and see which takes better. But I, I, I think that, you know, either one of those two methods is what you're going to have to do. Don't take it out of the pot and just plunk it in the soil because it will never survive. All right. Thank you for the call. Congratulations to Jan Squirrel Hill, winner of that gift certificate from Janoski's number to talk to Jessica Wallace for today, 866-391-1020. Good morning. It is time for our Mrs. Know-it-all, Denise Schreiber. She is a fellow horticulturist, garden writer, and an all-around garden goddess. Good morning, Denise. How are you? Good morning. It's a little wet here. We got a pretty good thunderstorm last night, so no working in the garden today, unfortunately. Yeah. Now, why don't you recommend gardening after a rain? Because when you work in wet soil, even though my vegetable garden has really good well-draining soil, you know, you're always digging deep to, you know, get those tomatoes in, that sort of thing. It actually changes what we call the tilth or the texture of the soil, and it pretty much turns into building block concrete instead. <laughs> Which we definitely don't want, especially not in the vegetable garden. Uh, no, and not only that, you know, our clay soils are so heavy anyhow, although having clay soil is actually not a horrible thing. We always think of it, you know, the ideal thing would be, you know, a very nice loamy soil. But actually, clay soils actually hold a good bit of nutrients. It's when we get in there and mess around with the texture of the soil that we create more problems. So, you know, just mixing in some compost with our clay soil does wonders for plants. It really does, and it opens up and opens up the pore space in the soils and helps it become a little better aerated, and all of that is very good for plant health. And it helps retain moisture. Absolutely. You know, which, you know can be a bad thing, but for most of the time, it's a good thing. Whereas if you live in the southwest or down in the deep south where they have very sandy soils, you know, they, you know, and we've had so much rain you know, they're scrambling to try and keep their plants irrigated all the time, whereas we really don't have that problem except maybe during, you know, the heat of the summer. Yeah, and that is a big difference. And and when we talk about, you know, people out west and in California with those sandy-based soils and they are now having to put in these xeriscaping, which is sort of uh, plants that are super low um, or super have super high drought tolerance. And that's what they have to do out there because the soils are so porous and any rain that they do get just immediately drains right through it. So thank you, as always, Denise, for uh, great advice. All right, here we go. Uh, right on the middle of text line, best deal in town. Uh, question for Jessica about mulching. What do you use, leaves, pine needles, or does it matter? Ah, it does matter, and it matters a whole lot. And it matters what type of garden area you are mulching. If you are mulching trees and shrubs that have very deep root structure, right, so they're, they're established, their roots go down deep, that's where you might want to use something like a shredded bark or arborist chips or wood chips of some type um, because they will last a little bit longer. They sort of, um, you know, hold in that soil moisture really well. And as they decompose and break down, that um, decomposition process uses a little bit of nitrogen out of the soil. But with deep-rooted plants like trees and shrubs, that is not problematic. But you never want to use shredded bark and wood chips on vegetable gardens or perennial gardens where the plants are much more shallow-rooted. 
on those types of areas, you want to do something like, um, in my perennial bed, I use leaf mold, which is decomposed leaves, or you could use um, compost in those perennial gardens as well. In the vegetable garden, you could use straw. You could use an inch or two of untreated grass clippings. Um, if you collect your grass uh, clippings, you could use um, straw as well. And that, don't use hay because that's full of weed seeds. Use straw instead. That's what I use in my paths in my vegetable garden. Um, and so it does really depend on what type of garden area that you are mulching. And I just had a big article in Fine Gardening Magazine that I did about mulching the vegetable garden. So you can always check that out as well. All right. One more uh, text message real quick. It says, hello, we were given some ornamental grass last year, Jessica. I planted it. My wife cut it down at the end of the year. It has shown no sign of life since. It's just brown straw-like shoots. Ooh, well, they should. all ornamental grasses now should have new growth. So I'm guessing it did not survive. I do wonder, there are lots of ornamental grasses that are sold as annuals that are not hardy here. So it may just have been that you picked up the wrong one at the nursery and you picked up one that was an annual. Um, Sometimes that happens. I also recommend that you cut it down in the spring, in March, instead of in the fall. Because leaving it stand through the winter does help improve, um, in some cases, the hardiness as well, depending on the variety. All right. Let's uh, take a call here before the top of the hour. Maybe get in two. Let's go to Scott in South Hills for Jessica Wallace. Hey, Scott. Yes, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I missed a little bit of the program, but you had earlier talked about uh, the damage that uh, systemic pesticides can do. Can you uh, tell us uh, how to uh, come up with a uh, an organic uh, pesticide that really goes after some raging weeds? Is there anything that can work? I, I've heard uh, combinations of uh, vinegar and maybe some salt, but... Yeah, Perhaps please don't do those. Dish. Yeah, please don't do those. Uh, those homemade concoctions that people, you know, you see them all over the Internet. Mix this with that and do with that. They are not backed by science. It's actually illegal to use them because they're not tested by the EPA. And in many cases, they can actually cause incredible harm to soil life um, and also, you know, surrounding plants and to humans as well. They can burn your skin and things like that. So I would definitely not recommend using any homemade mixes. There are, however, some commercially made organic weed killers that are very effective. If you're talking about spraying weeds like in a driveway or in the cracks of your patio or on a path, you can use one called Burnout. There's also another one called Nature's Avenger. Uh, Avenger. Um, and those two are products that are based on horticultural grade um, vinegars, uh, fatty acids and soaps and Uh, clove oil, and they're very effective. You have to follow label instructions, though, for sure. Um, So those would be ones to spray in those types of areas. If you're talking about weeds in your lawn, you can spot treat with those, or you can use any of the organic herbicides that are based on chelated iron. There's a couple different brand names. Iron X is one of them by a company that's from a company called Gardens Alive. There's another one that's called Whitney Farms Lawn Weed Killer. And that one's pretty common as well. You want the chelated iron to be the active ingredient. And that is a good one that will kill the weeds in your lawn without affecting the grass, which is huge that we organic gardeners now have a product that we can use on our lawns to kill weeds that won't affect the turf grass. Okay. What about things like thistles and what we call jaggers? Yep. Those really bad. Yep. I uh, just did an article in the Trib about controlling thistles for somebody in there. Are they in your vegetable garden or where are they? They're they're actually, um, we have a sloping hill 
off of the carport, and they're they're all you know they've grown all in that area. And, yeah. You know, using the weed whacker, they just come back. Yeah. Is there any good plants in that area, or is it just all thistle? It's it's all thistle. There is a lilac tree not that far okay. away, though. But. So your best bet in a situation like that, where you don't have good plants to work around, is to do what I suggest in the Trib article that I wrote, which you can read at triblive.com slash Jessica Walliser. And basically, I talk about the smothering method, which works really well with Canada thistle. And that is to cut the Canada thistle down all the way to the ground very early in the season, or now, if this is when you're getting to it. Cover the whole area with cardboard and then put mulch down on top of that cardboard. And you want to do that for two or three seasons in a row. Do not disturb the area, and that will smother out. Uh, Canada thistle does not do well in shading. And even for this gardener in the paper, they were doing it in a vegetable patch. And so I said that's some research that says after you do that smothering to plant pumpkins in the area because the pumpkin leaves will shade that uh, area and also help reduce that thistle population. So it's sort of a combination attack. All right. Thank you for the call. Great show with Jessica Wallace. You've got one minute and closing comments to follow right after that. Go yeah. Ahead. So one other thing I wanted to make sure that I mentioned on the show today is that all of the bulbs are finished blooming. So the daffodils are done. The tulips are done. When that happens, it's time to deadhead. Cut off or pull off those flower stalks. Um, to get rid of the developing seed pod, and that will cause more energy to go back down into the bulb to form bigger blooms for next year. Also, with that foliage, don't tie it up in a tidy little knot. You want to make sure that you let it die back naturally before you cut it off. And again, it helps feed the bulbs. So lots of good things. This is when you and Doug say. This is when Doug and I say. I forgot. I didn't write it down. Remember, the organic gardeners always aim to teach you how to create a better place to garden and a safer place to live. All right. Don't forget, triblive.com slash Jessica Wallace. She's amazing. Don't miss it. Thank you so much. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Thanks, Rob. Happy Memorial Day to you, too. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.